So as I mentioned uh, before the service, this is the fourth Sunday of Easter, and historically, it's known as a Shepherd Sunday, and, and that's because we, we follow a three-year series of readings, and every year on the fourth Sunday of the Easter season, we read a portion of John chapter 10. And this morning, the portion is from verse 22 to verse 30. Uh, next year, it'll, we'll start over again in John 10. It'll be verses 1 through 10, and then the following year, 11 through 19, I believe, something like that. So this is the year we read 22 through 30. And I think it's good, it's wholesome for us to remember to focus on this image of Jesus as shepherd because it is an image that you find throughout Scripture. In the Old Testament, for example, God, Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, declares himself to be the shepherd of his people. And here you see a Jesus now, Yahweh in the flesh, saying the same thing. So we take a look at the... A scripture reading, the gospel lesson for this morning from John 10, verse 22. And you'll notice uh, the sermon notes are not on a certain page of your bulletin. They're an insert this week. So uh, we'll be looking at the outline in just a moment. But first, let's take a walk through the text and make a few notes about the text. So, and that text is on the back of your sermon outline as well. So verse 22. At that time... The Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem, and it was winter. Now, this is the, uh, the festival of Hanukkah, the rededication of the temple, and it, it's, it's always celebrated in December. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. Now, this colonnade is a covered porch that surrounds the temple complex. And, and it's interesting because... Jesus not only taught there, it was, you know, if the weather's cold, it's a covered area, there's some shelter from wind. But the first Christians made a habit of meeting there before they were chased out of Jerusalem by the authorities. They would gather uh, under Solomon's, uh, that's covered porch area. They remembered that spot and they continued to meet there. You can read about that in Acts chapter 3 and Acts 5. Verse 24, so the Jews gathered around him, and, and this is not a friendly social gathering at all. Uh, the word in the Greek, it means encircled, okay? Kind of like a predator would, would seek, you know, a pack of wolves would seek to encircle their prey. Uh, that's really, there's hostile intent going on here. And they said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Tell us plainly. It's almost as if these people will not let Jesus get away until he answers this question. Because if he answers it in the affirmative, now notice this is several months before his death. This is December. He'll die in April. This is not the time to die. This is not the time for him to speak up and declare himself the Christ. He will do that later, but not now. Because if he declares it now, the stones will fly at him. Verse 25. 
Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. In other words, he told them through his works, through his miracles, okay? The miracles speak for themselves louder than his words could. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. In other words, the problem that these people have is not that Jesus did not give them enough revelation. He's given them enough revelation. He's given them enough to produce faith in their hearts. But the problem is with them. Verse 26, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. Now that's the problem. They refuse to be sheep. And what follows is an invitation to become sheep. Verse 27, my sheep hear my voice. We are Christ hearers. We, hear, we navigate through life by the ear, listening to the voice of our shepherd. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And in the Greek, this is very absolute. They will in no way, shape, or form perish. Never. It's emphatic. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Now that's a promise of eternal security. And many Christians like to, to point to that promise. I'm secure in Christ, nothing can happen to me. And we are eternally secure in Christ. That's the good news. But it's also a bit of a problem for us as we read the scriptures because a statement like that seems to contradict other statements in scripture which teach that believers in Christ can fall away. It's possible for believers to fall away, to leave the faith. It happens. For example, in John 15, 6, Jesus says this, if anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are gathered, they're thrown into the fire, and they're burned. Now that is a threatening promise. It's a promise, and it's a threat. And that contrast with our gospel lesson for this morning, verse 28, which is a comforting promise. You know, we will never perish, right? No one will snatch them out of my hand. So how do we explain these, contradictory, these contradictory promises of God? How do we reconcile passages like this? Well, we say it this way. God speaks two very different words to you and to me, the law and the gospel. Law promises are threats. They are threatening promises, and they have a specific audience. The audience for God's threats are what we call satisfied sinners. Satisfied sinners are sinners, they are sheep, who are satisfied to remain in their sin, as they are. They refuse to repent. They refuse to follow their shepherd. And sheep that refuse to follow their shepherd put themselves at risk. Sheep 
who refuse to follow the shepherd and who leave the flock are at the mercy of the wolves. And there's no mercy there. Therefore, since God does not desire that anyone perish, it is out of love for us that Jesus makes such statements as, if a man does not remain in me, he's like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are thrown into the fire and are burned. God speaks in a threatening way to satisfied sinners for one reason only, to get us to repent, to bring us to repentance, so that we can once again hear the gospel and believe it. Now in contrast, God's promises, his gospel promises, are comforting promises, and they're spoken to a different group of people. They are spoken to terrified sinners, to sheep who are burdened and sorrowful over their sin. To such souls, God speaks no threats at all. He speaks only forgiveness to them, only comfort, only mercy. God speaks threatening promises to bring us back to him, to repentance, and to prepare us to hear once again the comforting promises of the gospel. So God speaks contradictory promises to us because we are contradictions in ourselves. We are living contradictions. Every Christian is. We are simultaneously saint and sinner. If we depart from our shepherd, and we might, if we refuse to repent, Jesus speaks only threats to us. And he would say, John 15, 6, and the threat about the branch leaving the vine and being burned, that's my word to you right now. Hear it. Take it to heart. But when we're troubled over our sins, we recognize the damage we've caused ourselves and others. And we look to Jesus for mercy. Luther would put it this way. Don't listen to John 15, 6 anymore. That word from God is no longer for you. It's done its work. Hear only John 10, 28. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. So to all of you who repent of your sin, who look to Christ for mercy, I say this, you are his precious sheep. You will in no way perish and no one will snatch you out of Christ's hand. Verse 29. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And the word one in the Greek is not masculine, it's not feminine, it's neuter. It's a thing, okay? In other words, the Father and I are one thing. We are one entity. Now, they are distinct persons. He speaks of himself and the Father in the plural. We are one. They're distinct persons, and yet they are yet one entity in the Godhead. That is to say, if Jesus and the Father are one, then to believe in Jesus is to believe in God. To reject Jesus is to reject God. There is no God apart from Jesus. 
and there's no belief in God without believing in Jesus. So, to your outline, Roman numeral one, the critical question in this text and the critical question in all four gospels is this, who is this man? Who is he? Who is this man? That's the important question. Letter A, he's the Christ. He will confess that, standing before the chief priest and the Sanhedrin. He will engineer his own death. On Monday, Thursday, that evening, going into Good Friday, he will engineer his own death by finally coming out and saying, I am the king, the true king of Israel. Letter B, he is one with the Father. He's one not only in will and activity, but he's one in his essence, in his being. And letter C, he is the visible presence of God, the God of the Old Testament, Yahweh. Jesus is that God enfleshed, made visible. This is why Jesus would say, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So here's the point. No one else in history makes such claims as Jesus does, and no one in history is able to back up the claims as Jesus does. He not only does miracles, which God alone can do, but he does things no other God would ever do. He takes his own medicine. The punishment that he threatens to visit upon you and upon me, he takes upon himself at the cross. There is no one else like him. Down through the ages, people have asked, rightly so, who is this man? The Gospels are all about his identity. And why does it matter? Why is that so important? Roman numeral two. Why is it so important to know who he is? His, identical, his identity is critical because this man who claims to be God asks you to trust him with your own life, including life beyond the grave. His, identical, his identity is critical because he asks you to deny yourself and to take up your cross and to die for him. He asks you to subordinate every other relationship in your life to him. Letter A, if he's not one with the Father, he's not worthy of your trust. If he's not one with the Father, he's just another fallible human being who has no right to make such demands upon you or me or anyone else. But if he is one with the Father, not only can he make demands upon us, but he can also make promises to us and he's able to back them up. If he is one with the Father, then his hand is every bit as strong as the Father's hand. There is no difference between the two. Letter B, if he is one with the Father, then his hand is the hand of God. The psalmist wrote of God in Psalm 102, the heavens are the work of your hands. And the writer of Hebrews takes that passage from the Psalms and applies it to Jesus, that the heavens are the work of his hands. The psalmist in Psalm 145 wrote, 
Lord, you open your hand and you satisfy the desires of every living thing. And what do we see Jesus doing in John 6, feeding the 5,000? He opens his hand and he satisfies the desire of the multitude. Moses wrote of God, by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. And what does St. Paul write in 1 Corinthians 10? He says, that was Jesus. <laughs> that was Jesus doing that, leading the Israelites, providing for the Israelites, redeeming the Israelites. My friends, those very hands which made all things and sustains all things to this day, those very hands that redeemed all Israel are the same hands that have made you, that have sustained you, and that have redeemed you at the cross. God's hand is his power. And let her see, never were our Lord's hands more powerful than when they were stretched out upon and nailed to the cross for us and for our salvation. Those hands nailed to the cross delivered us from sin and from death and from the power of the devil. His hands willingly embraced death for us. His hands receive the condemnation and the judgment due you and me. And his hands, once nailed to the cross, will not let go of us. We may let go of him, but he will not let go of us. We may stray from him, but being the shepherd that he is, he will seek us until he finds us. Letter D. Our security lies not in our hold on Christ, but in his grip on us. We feebly hold on to him. Therefore, our security is not in that. Our security lies in his firm grip on you and on me. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.